Welcome to Running on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to training the body, mind, and soul for what the race requires. My name's Steve Sisson, and I'm your host. What we have running in the background is the new Running on Purpose theme, one of two created by, by, by the amazing Michael Kratchik, who's my co-host on the Keep Going podcast. This is the electro mix in contrast to the alt mix that he created. That's the main one that you typically hear on the Running on Purpose podcast. I'm really digging it. I hope you do too. Well, this week, I have an interesting episode. It is only my second guest episode where I do an interview of a guest. And I'm not entirely sure if I nail this one. Certainly, my guest does a fantastic job of answering the questions, the leading questions, the expansive questions that are super hard to answer. Um, and I'm thankful for her patience and excitement in having the podcast. So if you're anything like me, you probably listen to a lot of podcasts. I mean, here you are listening to this one now, right? And it can be challenging to process the content in these long, deep episodes and still come away with some concrete, actionable takeaways. You know, I'll be listening to an episode and have a note file started on my phone so I can jot down some key insights and inspiring ideas that I want to develop later. But I find that I never go back to those files, rarely use them in any, in any useful way. And if this is you, you're going to love my guest this week. Charlotte Grissel is an online writer who distills in her weekly newsletter tools and resources to experiment with your mental and physical performance guaranteed to teach you something new about your mind and body in just 15 minutes per week. She calls her newsletter The Stretch Letter, and there's a link below to subscribe to it. And it's free, and it's chock full of practical content. And that content is highly applicable to runners of all levels, since she's a runner herself, and she uses the content that she writes up in her newsletter to work through those experiments and practices that she researches. The stretch letter comes out every Friday, and I invariably read it the day it arrives. I believe you will as well if you subscribe. I was so excited to talk with Charlotte, and I hope that you find the conversation as stimulating and inspiring as I did. The topics we cover in this episode are Charlotte's running journey, our future admission into the Andrew Huberman fan club, understanding the nervous system, the importance of breath for runners, and considering our future self in relation to goal setting. So with no further ado, I bring you the episode that I call Charlotte Grissel on the Nervous System and Breathwork for Runners. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. Hey, Charlotte, how are you? Hey, Steve. <laughs> I'm doing great. How I'm, are you? I'm fantastic. And I am beyond excited to have this conversation with you because I have been reading your stretch letter for nigh on a year now, probably a year. Um, I get it every Friday or most Fridays, I think, is when is your distribution, right? Yeah, I try, I try. It's one of very once in a while, but I try. <laughs> and I had this idea a couple of months ago to reach out to you, um, but I hadn't started restarted this podcast, so it was like, well, I, what would I reach out? What what would I be able to offer you in a conversation that I wouldn't <laughs> that would be useful um, for you and also for us and so my listeners? 
So I decided once I got it started, you were one of the first people I reached out to to say, hey, you're talking about stuff I talk with my athletes about all the time. Like, mm -hmm. what is our nervous system? How does our nervous system function? How do we how do we take control of our bodies? How do we recognize our body as something that's has a legitimate concern that should be considered in the process of being an athlete and in the, in the process of being a human. And your stretch letter primarily comes at it from the perspective of, I think, not necessarily people who are being athletic, but just people who are being in bodies, right, mm -hmm. generally. And I saw that, and I, my listeners know that all I do is talk about the nervous system. I'm, I'm obsessed with the way the nervous system is very misunderstood or very not very not communicated very frequently and people will use the word brain or mind in a rather in, in a way that makes it seem like it's all happening between the ears and in yeah. that sort of whatever five pound gray skull five pound thing floating around in your skull and so I want so I got excited about what you were doing and the fact that most of your stretch letter was like sharing tools, like really specifically being um, practical and pragmatic about the stuff you're sharing. Yeah. So what I thought I'd do is just get on a call and talk with you and then send it right. out to my listeners. So what I'd like to do first to get started is just tell us a little bit about your journey with the stretch letter and how you got started doing it. Um, because I'm going to put a link in the show notes for that, for where you can subscribe to it. And I'm going to say everyone who listens to this podcast needs to be subscribed to this newsletter um, because it's incredible. But tell us how you got started with it. And then we'll, I'll have some more questions for you after that. Sure. Great. Well, thank you. That's a, a great introduction also. And thanks for um, kind of the, the kind words about the newsletter. <laughs> um, I started writing online by now two and a half years ago, um, since the pandemic, actually. Um, just like you were saying earlier when we were chatting, I'm also a very avid reader and it kind of reached almost like pathological heights during the pandemic in terms of the volume of reading. And at some point I just realized, what am I actually doing with all of this stuff? Everything I'm reading, everything I'm learning, um, I'm not really, yeah, doing doing anything productively with it. So I thought I'm, I'm going to start writing. That's something that I had been thinking about for a long time, actually had wanted to do for a long time, but always kind of put off. Um, and during the pandemic, I finally started. So in the beginning, it was more around kind of writing about the stuff I was reading mostly book summaries actually it was just like an easy nice way to get started and then um two years ago exactly january um 2022 i started the newsletter and it's 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 kind of hard to like go back to that mental state and and really put myself back into my shoes then but what i do remember was it was mostly kind of a challenge to myself to get over fear of embarrassment. Because mm. I had been writing online, but kind of secretly, you know, like didn't really tell any of my friends, didn't really tell my family. Um, nobody really knew. I was just kind of doing it for myself. And this newsletter was just a way for me to be like, okay, I am going to really take this seriously and I'm gonna share this with people and I'm going to commit to a cadence. I'm gonna do, the in the beginning I started with bi-weekly because I felt that weekly might be a bit too too much too soon so i started with bi-weekly so that's that's been two years now 
Um, and if you say you signed up about a year ago, I think it's been about a year now that I've really been focusing on the whole kind of nervous system regulation um, element of it. So I like to write about, you know, um, all kinds of mental well-being and mental training topics through the lens of our nervous system. Um, and that wasn't the case from the beginning. In the, be in the beginning, it was very much all over the place, and I wrote about a lot of different topics. Mm -hmm. But I'm really glad I did that, and I had that experimentation phase. But now, so over the last year, I've really been focusing on, yeah, topics like motivation, focus, creativity, resilience, um, yeah, mindfulness, but always through that lens of neuroscience with a focus on practical tools, as you were, as you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, it comes through really strongly in, in, in your stretch letter. And then recently you've been on a running journey as well, and, uh, and, and you write about your running journey in your mm -hmm. newsletter. Not, not, every single, not every single stretch letter is on that topic, but like, for example, the last one I got last, this past weekend, you discussed running in a half marathon with no headphones for the first time or having, a, <laughs> having your experience of not wearing headphones. And yeah. so um, it was when I realized that you were also exploring these practical tools as a runner running and then and then, and then writing a little bit about how that plays out in your running was just why I, I, I had to get in touch with you. We had to talk because <laughs> I was already wow. inspired by your work, but now your work was becoming much more relevant to people that I work with. And you bring so many practical tools that even with the athletes that I coach and work with and those who listen to my, this podcast, there's no way I would be able to give them as much content as you're giving them, and they have the ability to unpack that. And we'll talk about that a little mm -hmm. later in this conversation about ways that I think that the, my listener base could unpack them, but also pro you know, troubleshooting that with you a little bit to see how you think that might work. Because we have a few topics we're gonna hopefully reach and talk about. Um, but tell us a little bit about your running journey too, and how your running journey is dovetailed with this stretch letter. Right, um, so I guess, Running journey, I've, running goes back to kind of my early um, teens, I guess, even like late teenage years, early 20s, running, like a lot of people do, running was always just this thing I did very sporadically and often around some race in the future, like a 10K or I'm talking kilometers mm -hmm. as a European, but a, a 10K or a 20K um run, but always very focused on that run and having kind of one goal in mind. And then once that race was over, I would stop running for a few months until, you know, the next one. Um, and that has been the case for most of my life up until, I guess, a year ago only, um, where it's, it's just been a very kind of sporadic, inconsistent thing. I also often struggled with kind of shin splints and then would train again, take a break, train again, take a break, have shin splints, go to a physio, go to a, it was, it was a little bit all over the place. Um, and I would also often set myself these kind of goals as I had in my mind, oh, I want to run a marathon. And that would then be kind of my next goal that I would try to train for and then have an injury again. <laughs> and then it was like all of those years feel very all over the place for me. And 
Um, that has only really changed in the last year, where for me, running is now a completely different thing. It's no longer really about the physical activity, if I'm really honest. I mean, of course, it also is, and it, it has those benefits, but that's not my main driver anymore um, around being fit or being making it a physical activity. Um, it's really become, like you were saying earlier, it's, it's not really anymore around a race or a goal. It's now really a practice for me and a system, like a daily system and a daily part of my day. Um, and the kind of benefits for me in that sense have been, have been enormous. Um, and the reason why I also write about it more now is because as I was mentioning, like I'm trying to look at all those kind of areas in life through the lens of my nervous system. And then the more I learn about that, the more I see that movement in general, not just running, but movement in general is an is such a big part of that um, you can't really talk about improving productivity or improving creativity or improving your moods or your sleep without talking about movement well these and these things happen through the body exactly all of it and i mean it sounds so obvious but that is those are quite new realizations for me to be honest in the last year they are for many about. people i think that they are for so many people absolutely it's it's like we are designed to move and we are rewarded in every single second of the day through movement. And having that kind of mindset shift has, has just changed everything for me in terms of how I approach running, how I'm incorporating into my day, and also how I'm enjoying it. And, and yeah, um, yeah. But even from a mundane level, the act of typing on your computer for a writing the stretch letter is an embodied activity. Sure, there's expense, There's time you're spent between your ears thinking through and rationalizing and considering and those things, but then in order for it to come out into the world, it has to be processed through your body. And I think this Absolutely. is the thing that made me so re recognize how, and then because it's processed through the body, then you have to figure out what the pathways of that are. And then this is what, who, this is how I, Got before I found your your stretch letter. Of course, I was obsessed. I think you and I are both probably going to be should be considered members of the Andrew Huberman fan club because your stretch your stretch letter talks about the Andrew Huberman his his podcast. Yeah, his podcast is so amazing. And any all the athletes that I work with and my and my online community, I think every month I'm posting a new one that says you must listen to this episode because the things he's talking about here are directly impacting the kinds of things I'm talking about when we're when I'm talking to them about certain things but also that they ha can then take them but what's even more incredible about your stretch letter is that you basically go through those episodes frequently and find and pull out the gems and pull out the yeah. great ones. There was one I read just as in preparation for this. I've read many. I mean, I've read almost all your stretch letters this last year recently. <laughs> but I read. But I read the one that I hadn't seen the one that you did where you unpacked Jocko Wilnick's podcast with Andrew, oh, yeah. which was I hadn't even listened to that one yet, and it was blew my mind. It was so good. There's so many takeaways, and you said I'm just going to give you five, and then I went and listened to the podcast after that. I'm like, there could have been. I mean, maybe you did five or 15. I can't remember, but I mean, there were more than that. There were so many different points that it was five hour conversation. Yes. Which is just 
Incredible. Yeah. So tell me about how you found the Andrew Huberman podcast and what that means to you and how his gift, right, his his offering to the world, how um, how that's impacted you, because I think in a lot of ways, that's really what you're doing is you're Mm -hmm. mirroring his um, his skill sets and gifts and then bringing them through to people who need that translated. Although he's a very colloquial speaker, he's easy to understand. and He brings in many mundane kinds of examples for how these things play out. It is an exercise in self, uh, in 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 understanding that you're never going to be as intelligent as he is. And you're not going to have it all at your fingertips the way he and his guests do. Uh, so anyway, tell us a little bit about that experience of sort of finding Huberman Lab podcast and then using seeing that as a way and a vision that you could take some of this content and 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 make it super practical. Yeah. Um, so I first learn about Andrew Huberman, actually not through his own podcast. I don't even know if he had already started it, but through a um, an interview on the Tim Ferriss show, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is also a podcast that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I heard, I listened to an interview with Andrew Huberman and just some of the tools that he described in that episode are to this day still my absolute favorite tools. So he's talking about the visual system, kind of the bi-directional um, process of our visual system that, you know, um, you can use your eyes to tap into your nervous system, and we can unpack that a little bit more if we want to. But he was just talking about those kind of very practical um, tools, and that immediately made me sit up and be like, huh, this is this is interesting. I don't think before that I even really knew. I obviously knew the term nervous system, but I had never heard about sympathetic or parasympathetic nervous system up until two years ago. And as he was giving me, and as he was talking about these tools to immediately experiment with that in the moment and where I could immediately feel an impact and a shift, however subtle, um, that to me was so interesting. So I immediately, since then I've I've been um, really following kind of his work and his podcasts and his newsletter super closely. Um, And, there, yeah, through through his work, there's been so many big mindset mindset shifts for me. I'm I'm not even exaggerating when I say he like changed the way I work, the way I structure my day, the way I sleep, and not in a obsessive way, of course, because I think some people might hear this and think like, "Whoa, that sounds a bit intense." It's not in an, in an overly intense way. It's just in a more self-aware and intentional way. Um, very small tweaks in terms of building in more movement into my day, um, making sure I see sunlight, very small things, but that have had a massive effect on me. Um, and probably one of, one of the biggest ones is in terms of, you know the term gross mindset? Uh-huh. That's a term yeah. that I was aware of before, but in Carol my mind Dweck. Was... That's Carol Dweck's work, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. The idea that we can, you know, our abilities and our level of intelligence and it's not fixed and we can, we can improve on those and we can get better at things. So I knew about that concept, but more in an abstract way. And then through Huberman and linking that all to like my brain and my nervous system and the concept of neuroplasticity, um, that it's it's not just kind of a, a 
high level abstract idea that you can get better at things, but there you can actually create physical structural changes in your brain, depending on how you approach things. Um, that to me was just, <laughs> and it changed so much for me because that's not how I used to approach anything in terms of learning new skills or in terms of, um, self-development. And I guess maybe, especially for someone like me who was and is, but it's gotten a lot better, who, who was very self-critical and very kind of setting very high expectations very quickly. And if I don't meet them, I'm extremely disappointed with myself and I'll often then quit and give up and pivot. And so I was kind of in that loop when I was younger of trying things, setting very high expectations, not meeting them. Okay. On to the next thing. And by learning a, a, a different way of approaching learning as a skill, um, yeah, that, that, that was life-changing for me. And, yeah. and that all came from learning about the nervous system and the brain. And he, he, the way he opens those gates allows you to realize, allows us to realize that these are, and you note, you note this in the latest um, stretch letter, stretch 61, where you say, these are body learnings. And that if these body learnings are here, then you don't you don't have to feel so responsible from a psychological yes. perspective because exactly. these are this is just the way the human body this current your current human body is processing all of the successes and failures, traumas and trials and wonders and all these things are are created by a narrative or a, a self identity structure that we seem to kind of think is is not is the opposite of plastic is concrete and gets concretized in such a way that we are these people and Huberman's work is like no we're there some of that will continue to be true as long as you continue to allow it to be true but that we are plastic and age is not a concern the age is not a major factor here either from what i understand from his work is while we may become be, stay more we may get it may be easier to stay concretized as we get older because of life's patterns, the way life's, it's not because the brain can't do that. And that many of the issues that we're dealing with from a neurological perspective from older and advancing age folks is because they don't have newness and excitement and no one's talking about plasticity for them. So you're stuck in this little, and I think even 20 year olds are stuck because of our cultural constructs, the way that we've, and so that's why I think the Huberman Lab podcast should be on everybody's listening list, especially if you're a performance-oriented human being who's not just treading water, but you're looking for ways to, to transform, to be better, to be more, to be it's, – it's just a great tool. But if you don't have time for five-hour interviews and those things aren't yours, just subscribe to the stretch letter and you'll get the stuff that's the most important stuff. It's just right there for you. That's what I loved about your, about your, about your newsletter was just how – practical it was. So I'd like to break down two topics I'd like to go into. One is because it's my absolute personal favorite, and I'd like someone else other than me to tell my listeners from a different, their perspective, how the nervous system, uh, what is the nervous system and how it's basically operating, right? That don't need to make this like biology 101, but based on your learnings and your experiences, what's going on, and maybe related a little bit more towards your running journey and what's going on, like the things that might be a be practical there okay if that's too big i can break it down into more smaller topics but you seem to be able to take pretty big concepts and roll through them so i'm just saying generally we have a brain right and then we have all these other things going on most people are thinking things are happening in the brain 
mm. primarily. Yeah. And then their bodies are some automaton that's going on some kind of autopilot outside of it, which is partly true. But we have this idea that it's like, oh, a brain and it's making decisions and doing things and then a body and it's doing things. And no, we're not brain bodies. We're 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 nervous systems. Right. So yeah. maybe talk about that just a little bit. And then I'd secondarily like to do is, is maybe only we'll only spend maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes here, hopefully. And then I really like to get into breathing because one of the things that you're focusing on right now in your training and you're tra getting yeah. trained in an area with um, Peter McCone's work. Right. Is that I mean, Patrick. Mac oh, yeah. yeah he, he, the oxygen advantage stuff is so incredibly interesting to me. And I've been yeah, I've read that book and I, I can't wait to break that that down with you. But give our listeners just a little bit of an idea about about the nervous system. And the reason I'm doing this is purely for vanity reasons, just so that I can have someone else reinforce what I've been telling people that the nervous system is really important. It's basically how we learn everything we learn and how we op how we function in the real world. And if I'm wrong, please just slam me. But then. Go wherever you want to go with that. <laughs> I think, and I think you know from my newsletter, we are speaking the exact same language. I think what made me, have you ever heard of a book called The Brain by David Eagleman? Yes, I've read it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I read that, in, in that book, it's, it's kind of laid out very clearly how our nervous system determines our entire experience of life. Like everything we believe, everything we see, everything we accomplish the, to the things that we like, don't like, find funny, not find funny, like everything is created and regulated and filtered through our nervous system. And I mean, he obviously goes in a lot of detail in the book and kind of explains that very clearly. But I think for people who um, maybe are not as kind of close to this area yet. Like reading a book like that is very insightful because it really makes you understand how important the nervous system is and how it drives and kind of creates every element of your reality. Um, so that's that was kind of, for me, the first eye-opener. Um, and I, I guess also in terms... It's a little, it's a it's very slight tangent also, but this for me was also a huge eye opener is that our nervous system creates our reality. So by default, every single reality is subjective. My reality is very different from yours. And we think that we just observe the world in a very kind of passive way. Whatever is out there is what we're seeing. But what I've learned from that book is it's the other way around. Our reality is created inside of the darkness of our skulls and is filtered through our nervous system and through our brain. And that is all very much driven by our history, our experiences, um, our conditioning. Um, so it, it just, it, it made me more aware of kind of my, my own environment, but also how other people have different nervous systems and so different experiences of life yeah in so a lot I'm of ways in a, in a, oh it's a beautiful tangent it's, it's really really important i mean that's really important and that we're really when we think we're meeting our minds we're really meeting nervous systems and that mm -hmm. we, you said you know you we've got these ideas that we that they have to be mediated by the body or the, the nervous system but then the nervous system is also pushing information up to the brain to give it a greater 
capacity and capability of figuring out where it's going. And we've got these brains that are not just one thing as we, anybody that gets into brain science realizes really quickly there's different portions of the brain doing different things. And, you know, I, I know it's a wee bit controversial to talk about, about what levels of the brain evolved at different levels and whether there's really a three-brain brain thing or whatever else, right? But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. We've got an intelligence in our head area. We've got an intelligence in our heart area, which is a crucial critical nervous system place. And we've got, a, we've got an intelligence area in our gut, in our belly, right? That's also working through. And those, they're all interconnected by our nerves and, or the nervous system, which is complicated and confusing. But we're, we're mediating all the way up and down the chain, all the way up and down our body, trying to figure out how to take the next step or make a next decision. Or, so when we're meeting, we're meeting nervous systems maybe even more than we realize. And that recognition can sometimes be like, well, then I, if I have plasticity here, I can adapt and adjust, but I also have to recognize the validity of that other person's nervous system. I, you know, I, one of my things I talk about all the time is everybody thinks they're in an objective world, but they're actually in a subjective world. So for you to highlight that was really helpful for me <laughs> because. And this is going to sound a little bit weird, but I am trying to be very intentional around when I meet people or when I'm in like a large space with other people to look at them and literally see a brain mm -hmm. because it helps me, a brain and a heart actually. I try to think about these people, all of these people around me have brains and hearts just like me. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but it's something that is so easy to forget. You feel like you're the only real person and everybody else is kind of your audience and you're the key person, which is absolutely not the case. For <laughs> them, I am just an audience and someone around them and everything is being filtered through their brain and their heart and their, their nervous system. So it's I just try to be very aware of that and not really see other people as like get out of that mindset of like I am kind of the center of the universe and all these people are my audience whereas that is the exact same thing that's happening for other people yeah so just a slight tangent I try to be I try to be like very intentional about that because otherwise it's so easy to forget and just be surrounded by people without remembering that they have brains that have been molded by all of their own experiences in their life in a, in a very, very different way. So they might react in a, in a way that I find a bit weird or say something that I think, oh, that's a bit weird. But then I try to remind myself, no, this is, this is their reality. This is how they're experiencing this moment. Well, you, you certainly know? can't get too weird for my listeners if they listen to me. Then they, I'm already, I'm, I'm talking about this in terms of that's what's happening to their environment as well, that they're actually having this relation to the ground. They're having this relation to the air. They're having this relation to their, they're having this relation to themselves, the multiple selves mm -hmm. they might have from, you know, from an internal family systems perspective. There's so many ways to think about this and unpack it. But I like to call that relation right that idea of there's a deep everything is relational so yeah you have a subjective experience but that does not absolve you of your relationality um, and and that relationality is pretty 
if you start to track it. If you take mm-hmm. the time to spend with your own body and then your own experience, you can, if you start to track it, and this moves down into the road of mindfulness things and those kinds of directions, which we're not going to take this conversation. We're going to stay really practical and in the body as much as possible. Yeah. But there, that begins to start to tweak people's realities, right? How they view themselves and how they view what really is but i love that you brought it around to but the body's doing that or already need to be operating from that perspective um based on what neuroscience is telling us these are not spiritual teachers that are telling this this is david eagleman who's definitely not masquerading as a spiritual teacher right <laughs> so no. he, he's definitely a hardcore scientist and um he's actually such a scientist that he's trying to figure out how to get how to tap into that subjective feeling state with technology which is super interesting and cool what what steps he's taking and where he's going with that stuff with the rewired project and then all the other sort of the add-ons and stuff that he's working with to try to figure out what's going on there it's really interesting and cool stuff yeah i mean that's what i love about this stuff like the eagleman like the huberman and a lot of these other kind of podcasts and books i i love how kind of practical and tangible it is right um and because it, it it just removes a lot of the and you kind of alluded to that before like it it removes a lot of emotion and frustration from whatever is going on because you can you can always kind of bring it back to a biological mechanism and i i know that won't work for everyone like for example my, for my partner that resonates a lot less for example an example is you know if i if i've been um kind of working for hours and i'm feeling low and tired i like to really immediately think about okay i i see what's going on here my dopamine levels are very low I need to get up and move. Like for me, that really works very well. For her, that doesn't resonate. She's like, I don't, I don't think that way. So it doesn't work for everyone, but I think for people like us, mm-hmm. having that kind of very foundational understanding and very practical understanding um, is very, very helpful. And I, I no longer think, you know, why can't I? Because that's who I used to be. I'm like, why can't I focus? Come on, just, just do it. Just do the work. But now I'm like. No, okay, it's obviously not working. What's going on? What can I do? Um, and that is just a world of difference. Well, it's so important for runners and any athletes because they don't, they, while your partner may have the ability to offload that information and not find it useful, anyone who's an athlete doesn't have that option. Mm. I mean, you can, but you're totally missing. And, and anybody who's training, particularly training you're using this body to try to manipulate you're manipulating it and adjusting it and pushing it and challenging it and giving it rest and and recovery and pushing and doing all these different things so that you can get have a transformation i mean this is simple it's a physiological transformation but i like to say this the main goal for people who are coming across the finish line at least the majority of people i work with i don't think you're in this category where you're at in your running journey right now but the people I work with and who will be listening to this, they actually really want to be a different person from when the person who starts to the person who comes across the finish line. Now, that is really mundane. They, they, they categorize that in a relatively mundane way. They'll say, I want to be X seconds or minutes faster than I was. So, so they think they're, that that's just their running self. But it's not really. They're looking for that experience. Hmm to make them different. And I try to pull that out. And to, to think that that's, and, and that there's no need, I have a tendency to get woo. I have a lot of interest in spiritual 
and the way the spiritual things and the way running has the ability to tap us into that. But what I love what you're bringing forward here is like, no, we are actually neurologically different. <laughs> you know, we're, we, and we have to train those things to recognize. And so when you have this emotional upset or you have this difficulty, we can find a reason for it. That doesn't need to be, I don't know, it just happened. Or like we, we, many people who are athletic and young in their youth, they think, oh, I'm a head case or I can't psychologically work my way out of this. And you're like, no, your nervous system is regulating you right now, whether you like it or not. And it's doing it below the hood in a way that you're not really consciously aware of. However, you can't, and we can't get, I don't know that we have the ability, well, maybe some of us, some people may have the ability to understand that more deeply, may be able to really sense that. But we can get better and better with touch. We can get into those subjective feeling states, unpack them, unpack them a little bit and do it while we're running to help us then feel that we've got this control. We've got some level of sovereignty, some level of control here in, in, the, in the way that we take the sensory information that's coming through our bodies and not feel like yeah. I'm stuck. And this exactly. happens for athletes. And this happens for athletes because they get in a really, it, it happens for athletes when they push really hard and then their body starts to shut down and they don't really understand. My view about this, and there's not a lot of science on this, it's just my direct experience. Um, maybe you can shine a little bit on it. I do think that many people's bodies, nervous systems start to shut them down well before they get to the place where they think, where they recognize that's going on. And so they'll call it a somatic thing when it's really a psychosomatic thing. That word is so vilified in the running world, in the, in the athletic world, as some kind of head casey kind of situation, like somebody's in a... Really? Oh, yes, absolutely. There's an idea that if you're struggling and you're having a hard time, you're just not getting over it. Like, you need to just get through it. And it's like, that's not really how it operates. That's not how the human body operates. You have to coax mm -hmm. it. You have to talk to it. You have to, you have to give it permission. And then it'll really start to unfold for you and give you... It's I call it being able to trust yourself. Like... And yourself that we're talking about here really at the primal level is this nervous system, this regulation yeah. of your nervous system. Um, so go wherever, where, go wherever that takes you. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that, that is definitely the way I, I used to approach running was from a very kind of above the shoulder, above the neck approach, right? Um, Whereas now I see running as a, as a very embodied practice and an embodied um, activity. Um, and it, it surprises me that you say that, that that's a bit vilified in the like running community, because even over the last like six months that I've been so much more focused on this, I can feel such an improvement in my running, even if that is no longer my main goal like indirectly i'm enjoying it more i'm getting better at it so so this is happening this is happening because yeah. you have come to it from a nervous system model hmm. you're you're oh you're learning this is all about learning you're learning yeah. and in a state of openness and you, you talk about this a good bit. I mean, openness is critical and crucial. And so many distance runners, as they get into deep into races, they close down. Everything gets closed down. 
and they can't get out of it because they don't have a regulation of, they don't have any ability to calm down relax and have a few keys to try to help them get through that process and then they're they're just expecting it to happen so in some ways it's kind of like a self fulfilling prophecy or an mm -hmm. experiential an experience of doing things and so many people will then just cut it off and say my body won't let me do it or and 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 in some senses it's not really a cop out they just don't have this information so you're coming to your running now f from an informed point of view based on a nervous system protocol and process that allows you to see it as plastic and open and fluid and flexible and that there's some change that you can make to it but I do think that many runners are afraid or don't know that that's even available to them. Hence this interview, mm -hmm. why I'm talking to you is to say, hey, I'm not just talking about this out of my rear end. Um, Charlotte has is studying this work and paying attention to it and has been working with it and is now moving it through your running. And you can say, hey, no, what I feel is more sovereignty, more control, more. But if you got to the position where you started to have an external goal, this is a real challenge. And I know that's something you've, you've worked, you've worked to stay out of that mode, like, or that's not a current mode you're in or however you're yeah. at with that journey. But I do think once an, a non-arbitrary and a perceived non-arbitrary goal comes into the picture for people, then all of a sudden identity structures, so many things play in that then exactly. make it hard to deal with. I, I think that's exactly the problem because when you, have a goal you typically also have a training plan that you should stick to and that's actually when i'm actually a bit of a failed goal setter because i have done that and i've tried it but i never managed to stick to the training regimes i don't know if it's i mean the critical voice in in me will say it's because i'm not disciplined enough that's what i then tell myself but i think that what i'm starting to see now is 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 just that i'm I'm an embodied runner, and when you're an embodied runner, it's really hard to stick to a very rigid training schedule because it often depends on how I'm feeling. And I don't always want to stick to such a rigid schedule. So I think that's where the tension is. If you have a, if you have a goal, then you kind of need to follow that kind of schedule, and there's a, a structure and a discipline to it. Whereas for me, it's... I'm trying to completely drop all of that. Like, for example, I'm not running to a certain speed or a certain um, um, length. Is length the right word? I'm yep. not sure. If, Duration not or running. distance or or yeah, pace distance, or those kinds of things. You're not. You're I don't not, care about pace. Yep. I don't yep. care about duration. <laughs> I don't care about pace. I don't care about distance. I only care about duration. Yes. These days. Yes. Um, and you get whatever you get in in the window of time and that I you've still got. Yep. Exactly. And so that's maybe not the most optimal way to then train for a marathon. But like you say, that is no longer my goal, to be honest. I've completely dropped that. Um, I am joining races. Like last week, mm -hmm. I did a half marathon. I'm signing up for multiple um, trail runs next year. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all coming from a very kind of like mental and emotional element and not and, and even a spiritual element in a way um and not at all from a goal setting physical point of view yeah i mean this is this is exactly why i talk about stealing a running culture because the running culture needs to come to Charlotte's point of view. <laughs> and you, we, while we do need goals, goals are really useful and helpful. Like you do have these goals that you've set out 
to complete 13.1 mile distance, to complete a trail run of a certain distance and a certain course and a certain thing. You're allowing your body to do things. And my experience now with this work is that if you allow the body to do what it does and it has an appropriate goal, then it will take care, your nervous system will actually take care of it for you. And mm -hmm. you have less likelihood of injury because you're listening to your body. Um, and realize most of the athletes who are listening to this podcast, in my case, they're they're running 50, 60 miles a week. That, you know, that's that's a pretty expansive. So that's like, you know, 90 K, yeah. 75 to 100 K a week. And they're wow. got particular specific sessions that they're thinking about doing. And that's part of their plan. But they can still bring to their experience exactly what you're bringing, which is, hey, I've got this work about to do. And for you, it's just duration-based. But for them, it's distance, duration, and maybe some pace. Although I am decoupling from pace so much and saying, let your body tell you what the pace is. You know what 10K effort is. You've been doing this forever. You've been doing this for a long time. So you have a basic idea of what it is. Nobody, your body doesn't care what the split is. And in fact, if you look at it, it's actually getting that information. Number one, you're becoming a virtual reality machine because you're using data, not actually your own body, which will be telling you information. Now you're trying to regulate data on a nervous system that's not ready for that. It's old, it's ancient, it's an ancient thing. It's not ready to handle that input, right? And yet these so many of the people in our communities are focusing on those inputs and they're ruining their nervous system experience. They're really in a, unable, they're, it's hijacking a really critical, crucial thing. You talk about this in, in a lot of different avenues in your stretch letter around modes in which we our cultural constraints have tricked us into thinking that we're doing an appropriate thing that may or may not actually be appropriate if we spend some time thinking about how our nervous system operates, right? Um, mm -hmm. I just think that, so I'd wanna jump into, into breathing, but I'm just thankful for you to hear that out because it gives me a chance to kind of roll through that with my listener base and say, see, this is exact, and I and I make a prediction. If you chose to train more consistently, or or more with in a more focused way, in a more deliberately focused way, uh, continuing to allow your nervous system to be the prime mover, the prime, uh, the prime uh, data set that you're looking, which of course then requires a subjective state of awareness that will allow you to do it, you'll improve more quickly because you won't run into oh, any of these choke sure. points. Yeah, hundred percent, and and that's so exactly, and that's also my my thinking is one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm writing more about running is because I want to make it an increasingly bigger part of my life, um, but I'm I'm just noticing the benefits of, also just honestly mentally for myself, some people might be able to deal with that kind of high pressure, high expectation mindset but for me it has the opposite effect i get very hard on myself too high expected like it's just mentally for me it's not good so that was actually a kind of a very intentional switch from i mean i would be embarrassed to show you the kind of training plans that i created for myself however many years ago it's just when i look at it now it's 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 crazy <laughs> like so it was a very necessary intentional shift to drop all of that and really just switch to running as a practice. And I actually coined it for myself, like having a bias for movement. I'm no longer, it's no longer about running or exercise. It's just every day have a bias for movement wherever you can. And that involves running as often as I can, but stop trying to make it 
a goal, stop trying to yeah, achieve all the time. It became too much about achievement and not enough about enjoyment. And um, yeah, I'm really glad I did that because now running is, yeah, I, I love it. It's it's one of the fav- my, my most favorite parts of, of my <laughs> week and I look forward to it now. It's especially since I dropped the earphones. Yeah. That's another big thing, but now it's just it's like my safe space, my happy space, my, you know. Um, yeah, this is, you're just, you're, you're making me happy hearing this. It's so, it's so good to hear someone having that experience because I think so many new runners, I mean, I know you're not a new runner, but you're having a new running experience and you're coming oh, at running. it from a movement practice perspective, from a, pract- a practice of movement rather than from an objective goal-oriented thing. And, you know, ex- there's so many different pieces of the puzzle about why what you're trying to move to makes sense, even from someone who's doing a structured training plan. Um, but we're talking about with the nervous system, which is so hard for many people to kind of wrap their heads around in terms of what's actually going on. I think you can get better and better at doing it. But because, but one part of our autonomic nervous system, one of the part of things that regulates our system is our breath and the way we utilize mm-hmm. breath. And breath is something that's really interesting because it has both cast it both aspects something we can control i can't control my heart beating i have ways i can mediate it but i don't have a direct connect right not one i can i can see i there are there's a there's a couple of steps i can get to regulating my heart but with my breath i can actually literally say breathe slower breathe faster (laughs) and then there's another aspect of breath that's going on where no you just try not to breathe and eventually you'll breathe it'll you'll be required to breathe. (laughs) Whereas my heart is just going to keep doing whatever it does no matter what anyway. But breathing is this really interesting place where we've got both pieces. So talk a little bit about your, well, number one, I'm very interested in what's going on in this work that you're doing with the oxygen advantage. So how that is playing out, but maybe we can walk into this talking a little bit about breath for you, how you think of breath from a running perspective and then wherever that kind of takes us from a global perspective global human system perspective. Right. Um, I like to ask these really big questions that make it hard to deal with. Global human perspective. <laughs> I told you I need to work on my on my interviewing process. It's not, a, it's no, not. You're great. You're great, but we need to make it a bit more specific because my problem is I didn't go on tangents and yes. I end up uh, somewhere very, very different. I'm okay with tangents. Uh, let me I just say, you're, what, are, what are some of the takeaways that you're getting from this course that you're, that you're, that you're taking? Mm. And, and why is it important to any human being, but then maybe how it might be important to your running, right? In, in, some, in some way. Yeah. Okay, let me think about how to structure my thoughts. Um, I think just to give a little bit of context about how I got into breath work and how I got interested in it um, was when I took a freediving course. And as you can imagine, in freediving, it's a sport where you go down underwater on, on a single breath. So learning about the breath is obviously a very, very big part of that. Um, and it's the first time that I learned about kind of the, um, yeah, the breathing system. And the first time that I also paid very close attention to how I breathe, um, and how I can kind of shift my breathing. So ever since that course, I think 
a little bit like I had like that ding ding moment with Huberman when I heard him talk and I was like, yes, something in me is is on fire. On, on fire. fire exactly. <laughs> I had the same with the breath thing. And ever since it's now, I guess, a year and a half ago, I've just been I've been kind of obsessed with it. Um, because it's so simple and so impactful. And um, it was the same thing with the nervous system. It's it's so simple and it's right here and we all have it and we all have access to it. Yet I've lived 32 years of my life without paying any attention to it. I'm, I'm often like baffled by it. I'm just like, how is that even possible? And I had the same with the breath. Um, and I don't even remember how I found the oxygen advantage. I think it was reading through, I think it was from the book um, Breath or Breathe by James Nestor, yeah. which um, is a book that goes very deeply into kind of the notion that we've, 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 we don't know how to breathe correctly anymore, which is also something that was very, very new to me. Um, and so the book goes very deeply into that. And I think that's where I read about the oxygen advantage, which is this, um, breathing approach developed by a guy called Patrick Patrick McEwen, um, which is all around kind of the foundations of healthy breathing. Um, I think like the word breathwork is very popular, and for most people, it means these techniques that you can use to upregulate or downregulate your nervous system. So that's a really big and important part of breathwork. But another big and important part of breathwork is this foundational breathing like how do you breathe every day day in day out what is healthy breathing and that's not something that's often talked about in breathwork um in kind of like the popular terms right like if you think of wim hof or kind of those popular techniques that's um all very much focused on like creating certain mental states and mental shifts in the moment um but doesn't necessarily address like the foundational breathing and the impact of on dysfunctional breathing day to day and how that impacts your moods, your sleep, your cognitive function, your performance and running. Um, and so that's what really drew me to the oxygen advantage. It really looks at the absolute basics of breathing. No fancy apps, no Wim Hof, no fancy techniques. Um, it, it's just kind of the day to day healthy breathing and what we can change there in order to just live better and think better and feel better. Um, so that goes really deep into that. And there's also a big focus on um, performance um, in general. And so running is, is obviously a big, a big part of that. And one, one piece that I read from your work that was shocking to me, because I don't think I read all the way through the oxygen advantage because I missed this point, or maybe I just skimmed it, but our basic breathing rate is, for most people is pretty pathetic and horrible from what I understand. And I remember reading it and you said something we should be, he said we, we should be breathing something between four and a half and six and a half breaths a minute or something like that as a basal state or something. And I tried it and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, like I mean, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty fit runner. I mean, I run a lot and I run, I run, I've been running for a very long time. And that was like, well, if this is basic breath health, then I'm, really not in very it's like i think a lot of people who actually check their nutrition at some point in time they realize oh gosh if i actually track this maybe i'm not hitting the the metrics that are most 
would be of greatest advantage to me. So talk a little bit about that, like how that sort of breath, how, if that was shocking to you, because it was shocking to me. And oh. when I tried it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm out of breath. Like I've got to, I need to, I need to get into What's do you that? Remember your do you remember like your? I don't remember the number. I just remember trying it and quitting. <laughs> yeah, it was like I started to count it, and I'm like, I'm feeling out of breath. But you know, I've always had a challenge with controlled breathing personally. That even in meditative, I've gone through you know multiple spiritual practices with meditation and then breath control with meditation and things like that. And I've always had a hard time on the exhale. Even box breathing sometimes can be challenging for me because I feel like I get to that place of lack. And then I feel my nervous system really flare up. Like it gets yeah. like trouble, trouble, trouble. But so that's exactly my point around these techniques that everybody's trying, which is great. That's also how I started. Like, oh yeah, box breathing and all of this <laughs> and, all, and all these different techniques. But if the underlying foundation of breathing is, is not good or not functional, then we'll struggle with these kind of techniques. Like immediately jumping into box breathing might be too challenging for you. Um, so you almost need to address the underlying issues first. Um, but the hard ass athlete, me and the hard ass athlete in me doesn't want to go back, right? That's the part. We, we have to become That's beginners again. We have to become beginners again yeah, with breathing. I, mean, I, I, I guess I just. I just, I just, I, I think I just like simple things. I think I'm yeah. starting to realize that just like with free diving, you know, it's, it's all no fuss. You don't need all the big oxygen tanks. Same with running. I love how simple it is. Mm -hmm. You don't need anyone. You don't need anything. All you need is your shoes and you go. And I guess same with the breathing, like, and why I'm attracted to the oxygen advantage piece of it, because it's, it's about like the foundations, you know, and the simplicity of healthy day-to-day -day breathing. Um, but to your point about kind of being surprised about the respiration rate and how the so-called real efficient breathing is around like five and a half to six breaths per minute, which yes, if you try that, that is very slow. I don't think that's necessarily how like the modern, because we live in, in very different, we live in a very different world now. So we're not, it's not, I don't think possible to breathe day in, day out at that breathing rate. But in general, um, from what I've been learning, because I'm, I'm still going through the certification um, program now, is that we should be around anywhere between like 10 to 12, max 15 breaths per minute. And, and that is already quite quite okay, but that for most people, a lot of people are around like 20, 25 breaths per minute. Um, so that we kind of have a culture of over breathing, um, which sounds strange, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's like, how can we over breathe? What's, what's the problem with breathing a bit more, a bit less? Um, but d d yeah, I've just been learning so much about like the, the biomechanics and the bio, um, um, chemical aspect of it, of oxygen and the role of carbon dioxide. And if you breathe too much, you're offloading too much carbon dioxide. And that's actually having an impact on the oxygen delivery to all of your cells and your tissues and your muscles and your brain. So for runners, this is actually incredibly important to understand because um, 
I don't think it's something that a lot of runners necessarily pay attention to, how they're breathing as they're running, how fast are they breathing, are they breathing through their nose or their mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it's it's very important to have an understanding of how it works and how, how you breathe has an impact on your nervous system and, and yeah, kind of the balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide because it directly impacts how you feel as you're running and kind of how your muscles feel how you, as you're running and how your brain is um, in which state it is. So it's it's very fascinating stuff. Yeah. I mean, can you give us um, maybe one takeaway that would be useful for someone to consider? We, I already... I already preach nose breathing pretty consistently with wow. easy runs being trying to keep a lot of people will say, how, how slow should I run on my easy days? I'm like, well, if you nose breathe, it'll tell your body will tell you exactly the appropriate pace you should be running because if you need to breathe out of your mouth, then you'll have a hard time. But many people struggle with just the concept of nose breathing. They, they, they have the experience of, of distress when they're doing that, you know, but I do think a step forward in just breathing out of your nose on a day to day basis consistently maybe even recognizing where you're breathing from, right? That's probably the key things are probably what, what, what which, which, which holes you're breathing out of. Right? And then, yeah, no, and then what funny. part of your body you're using to breathe from, and then, and then how your respiration rate is affecting those things becomes really, really crucial and critical. So, yeah, maybe we don't have time to unpack all of this. I don't know if you do. I mean, I have plenty of time, but I don't know what time frame you have in terms of your day. <laughs> maybe like another 10 minutes? Yes, perfect. Okay? Yes, perfect. Yeah. For me, what's been kind of the most impactful around breath work is developing a day-to-day mm. breath awareness. Um, and I think especially for someone who, and I'm assuming that that might be the case for a lot of your listeners, um, spend a lot of time sitting down, spend a lot of time looking at a screen, working on a computer. Once I started paying attention to my breathing during the day, it was actually quite shocking sometimes how I would often be holding my breath. And that's there's a term for that, um, which is called screen, screen apnea, which mm-hmm. is you know, when we spend a lot of time looking at screens and kind of hunched over and very focused it's almost like we forget to breathe for a few seconds and we're holding our breath. And once you start paying attention to that, it's, I can assure you, you'll be shocked at how often you do it. Also when you're watching TV, when you're looking at your screen. So just starting to pay attention to those moments is already super insightful. Um, And also paying attention to how you're breathing in those moments, whether it's holding your breath for those few seconds, but also, in my case, it was often quite shallow breathing and quite fast breathing. And um, it takes, obviously, it takes a bit of time and commitment to develop that breath awareness. Um, I'm a little bit of freaky with that sometimes. I would have like a post-it here. <laughs> I set an alarm once in a while because I really wanted to build that muscle of like paying attention to it. And that goes back to the whole concept of neuroplasticity. It is quite crazy how quickly the brain learns and how quickly I was developing that breath awareness um, to the point that even after a few weeks or a month, like, and now I almost have a constant breath awareness. And that that maybe sounds that maybe sounds annoying or like um, very intense, but it, it's not. You can have five percent of your attention and your awareness on your breathing and 
95% on everything else that's going on. But I'm almost constantly aware of my breathing, which is, is yeah, has made a massive difference. But the, yeah, that's a, a different, a different um, kind of avenue. Um, but so my point is to develop that breath awareness and then to really focus on slowing down your breathing. I think if there's kind of like one takeaway that I can give to people who want to kind of get more involved with their breath is to not immediately jump into all of the exercises and the apps and the retreats and the sessions, but to first start with breath awareness, simple breath awareness, and as often as you can to focus on slowing down your breathing through the nose and making it very light and very slow. And what I love about that is that it has immediate effects on how you feel. And that is just beautiful to me because it will then motivate you and it will give you that feeling of like, huh, there's something here, that's interesting. Um, so just as often as you can, when you think about it, focus on slowing down your breathing as much as you can and making it very light very light breathing. Um, the way Patrick always describes it in, in his oxygen advantages is like, breathe so lightly that the hairs in your nostrils don't move. Oh, wow. That's a wonderful Which image. Is an immediate, it's an immediate nice cue to be like, okay, I, I know what that means. I know what I need to do. It's breathing very, very slowly, very lightly. Pay attention to the air coming into your nose and the warm air coming out of your nose. So when you really focus on those elements, you're automatically slowing down your breathing. And that has an, an kind of an immediate calming effect on your nervous system, the parasympathetic branch, which we briefly mentioned earlier, which is that part of your nervous system that triggers the feelings of relaxation and, and calm in your body. Um, but so I feel like being very intentional and very aware of just those simple, small things in your breathing, um, can have a can have a, a massive effect and i also pay attention to that as i'm running actually so yes it's nose breathing and that's important but there's a difference between or trying to be very controlled mm -hmm. so i try to take conscious control of my breathing as i'm running and i've also noticed a, a massive a massive effect there and a massive difference in how i run and how i feel so those are fantastic practical tools. And for those listeners who want more of these, they're every week. You're getting more. You get you get you get a great you get a lot of these in a way where Charlotte's actually able to take time and write it out and think through it and process it in a way that's more that not necessarily more, because that was really wonderful the way you did that, but probably more direct to the way that you would have liked you want people to execute at steps they might take to execute these things and to understand them. Um so Right before we go, because I just want to take one, I have one more question for you, and that's um, in one of your stretch letters, you talked about um, Charlotte, the future Charlotte, um, and your future <laughs> running self. And I wonder if you, because so many of my listeners are so focused on goal setting and expectations and goals and things, this was just so beautiful, the way you framed this. And would you share with people what your what future Charlotte's running, hopeful running experiences are, and and how that future that term future self resonates with you. Because I, if this is something that my listeners, the only thing they take away, I think they have so many things to take away. 
But this was really beautiful for me, and it really highlights the kind of the direction that the Running on Purpose podcast is focused on, and the way my work is focused on is seeing this aspect. It's so beautiful. <laughs> mm. Thanks, Steve. Mm. Um, so I, I learned about. I mean, future self is this. I guess this concept that I had definitely heard about before, um, but. About three months ago, I read this book called The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. She's a, a psychologist. And it's all about very practical tools and, and very also like um, physiological tools to improve your willpower. And one of the um, principles or concepts that she talked about was this future self uh, continuity, I think it was called. And that's basically the kind of the extent to which you feel connected to your future self. And for some people that can be very strong, for other people it's not as strong and you don't really see that future version as, as of yourself as you and you don't really see the impact that you have in your daily decisions and behaviors on your future self. Um, and one of the ways to strengthen your willpower is to just become more kind of familiar with that future self and that future version of you and be more intentional about what you want that future version of you to be like and to look like and not just kind of think about it in vague terms but be very specific about it and that's what i tried to do in my newsletter as i was trying to, to write about this was be very specific about okay what do i want december 2024 charlotte to be like and what do i want her to have achieved and to feel like and to be working on and one of the elements there's obviously a lot of things that I want that person, that future me to have done. But running is a big part of it because as I was saying before, I often set these goals for myself, then don't really do much with it. Um, so I wanted to be, I wanted to be a lot more intentional around that. And instead of just thinking like I would do before, like, okay, next year I'm going to run a marathon and kind of leave it at that. Now I was very intentional around like writing down five to 10 bullet points around why I want that. Why do I want to run a marathon? Why, why do I want to, I'm not even really talking about that as a goal anymore, but it's more like, why do I want to be a runner? Mm -hmm. Like, why is this important to me? And having that list and being very clear about that list is just making it easier to then make the right decision in the moment. And by making the right decision in the moment, I am doing the right thing for future Charlotte. Mm. Um, but I think like a practical takeaway for people listening is don't just set goals, but be very clear and specific about why you want those goals from all the different angles that you can think of. Like for me, trail running was, I wrote down things around I, you know, I want to build my social life more around trail running. I just moved to a new city, Lisbon. Mm -hmm. I want to meet new people. How do I want to meet new people? I want to build it around running. So that's like a very specific point. Um, there's the neurological benefits that I want to get from running. There's the mental benefits, the emotional benefits. So I listed all of those out in very clear detail. And I often go back and read those bullet points because it helps me motivate myself to go out for that run, even if I really don't feel like it. Um, so I'm really, with that with that kind of concept, I'm really trying to um, bring to life that future Charlotte in my mind. And um, 
help help kind of make the right decision in those moments of willpower challenge. That's so beautiful. One of the things I'd like to tell my athletes is when they get to the finish line, they always think that they want to reach some specific goal when they come across the finish line of a race. But what they're really looking for is the feeling state that that number represents. So the number is just some kind of data point, but that what they're really looking for is this feeling state of, of sovereignty, control, uh, attempt, even if they don't reach it, that they, that they did something hard and beautiful and challenging and difficult. And I think that our most people's goal setting is so limited to just some kind of data number or, and, and then, but the fact that your future self includes your why, but then also includes some kind of, comes kind of what will it feel like to be that way? And you're working on it by checking in with it on a consistent basis. And then you're working on this felt sense experience of what it might be like to be that Charlotte. So it's not just like, oh, when I'm 2024, Charlotte will be better than 2023, Charlotte. Instead, it's like in what ways and how, and then that creates a, a path that's significantly more likely to make that happen um, and yeah. and cohesive with whoever it is your present self is saying the future self will be, right? Like that cohesion, I think, to me, this is where nervous system stuff is so important because I think the nervous system is the place where we actually truly sense cohesion and alignment mm -hmm. with goals or expectations or self or identity. And it's, and again, your, your stretch newsletter just does this great job of, of bringing these concepts, these big picture concepts and giving us a, a little sketch of them, just enough to whet our appetite. And usually with a huge resource list that allows you to go for a deeper dive wherever you want to go, but then pulls out some key learnings that a person can use and I just want to thank you for, number one, following your muse, following whatever it was that had you break out of a past, yeah, past, past Charlotte, wanted a new future Charlotte, and here she yeah. is. And, you're, and I just want to reflect back to you. You're doing beautiful work, amazing work, and I really love it. It's, I'll keep reading it. I love it. And hopefully you'll have a, a, a number of new, new subscribers to it. It's a free list, folks. It's like no obligation, no nothing else. It just comes in your inbox generally on Fridays and I cannot recommend it enough. And I just want to thank you for coming on this podcast and taking time to to share with us, Charlotte. I really appreciate it. Anything else you want to leave us with? Anything else that you think is important? No, I think that's that's it. it was, this was really, really fun. And actually my kind of plan for 2024 stretch, not mm -hmm. 2024 Charlotte, but 2024 <laughs> stretch, is to focus more and more on movement combined with breath work. Mm. Um, just because that's what I'm enjoying so much. That's what's really kind of firing me up and giving me all this energy. So if anybody's listening, um, well, whoever's listening, I mean, um, <laughs> The, kind of the, the direction of the newsletter will be even more focused on movement and breath work. Um, so I'm, I'm actually really, really excited about that. Well, maybe I'll reach out to you in six months or a year and see how that journey is progressing and, and, and what learnings you've had that might be useful for people. So again, yeah, thank great. you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And for all our listeners, thank you for joining us and Godspeed. <laughs>